Hey guys. So before I get into talking about this week's super exciting episode, I wanted to quickly tell you about an amazing resource that is now available to you from Against the Arrow Enneagram Coaching. You probably remember my friend Kate Doyle from episode 41. She is a certified Enneagram coach and she teamed up with Lauren DiMatteo Werner to write a six-week devotional that takes you through the book of John and is designed to be done during the six weeks leading up to Easter. Now, listen, this is not your typical devotional. Basically, there's a reading each week, and along with it are questions that are specifically geared toward your Enneagram number. So listen, I have a copy of it, you guys, and when I read one of the prompts that was geared toward ones, because I'm a one on the Enneagram, I immediately got like tears in my eyes because it was exactly the type of reflection that I really needed in that moment. It really spoke to me. So head on over to www.againsttheero.com and click on shop and buy your copy. It's an instant download as soon as you purchase it. So you'll get it as soon as you buy it. And The cool thing is you will get the reflections for all of the numbers sent to you. So if you feel like you're not sure what your Enneagram number is, you can look through all the prompts and see what speaks to you. Oh, and also a little happy Easter treat for you guys. They're giving you a little discount if you use the code SWE10 for 10% off. So use code SWE10 for 10% off, okay? Now, to today's episode. So listen, today on So What Else, we are going there. We are talking about the big S-E-X. So now might be a good time to pop in some earbuds if you have little kids around, or maybe just turn this episode off if you're my dad. I'm kidding. This episode is for everyone. So listen, we have Sheila Ray Gregoire and Dr. Keith Gregoire. Sheila is the host of the Bear Marriage Podcast and author to nine books, including The Great Sex Rescue, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, and many others. And she also co-wrote The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex with her husband, Dr. Keith. But listen, don't tell anyone. I read that one, even though it's geared toward guys, and I loved it. All right? I was nervous that it was going to be awkward for me to sit and interview a married couple about sex, but let me tell you, it was not at all. They are so fun. They're so wise. They are so educated on this topic, and all of their information is so heavily steeped in research, which is so important, okay? Listen, everything we discuss in this episode is vitally important. I loved it. I cannot wait for all of you to hear it, so stay tuned. Sheila and Keith, thank you so much for coming on So What Else. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, so you guys are in Canada, right? We are, eh? That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. I am on like a, a Canadian streak right now because in a few weeks, I have Tony Newhoff coming on. She's mm-hmm. from Canada. Then I have, I'm going on a podcast that's based in Canada called Work Friends. And we're we're friends with a couple um, Rich and Christine Birch. Rich has a podcast on seminary and they're from Canada. It's like, I'm having all these Canadian interactions recently. It's like a sign. Cool. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So for people who don't know you guys, can you just give a quick intro into who you are, what you do? Sure. Well, I, so I'm Sheila Gregoire and I've been blogging about sex since 2008, which is a really super weird thing to do. Um, (laughs) and I started off as a mommy blogger started, I noticed that the more I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. So I kind of morphed into the sex 
thing. Mm-hmm. I get it. <laughs> and then I started writing books about sex, courses about sex, et cetera. And yeah. sometime so, back and in my, like- My job, I'm actually, my day job is a pediatrician. So right. I'm actually a doctor, I'm a kid's doctor. And then a while back, Sheila came to me and said, hey, sweetheart, how would you like to get up on stage in front of hundreds and thousands of people and talk about our sex life and our marriage? <laughs> You're and like, you know, that what, sounds so fun. Yeah, what guy <laughs> wouldn't jump at that opportunity? So here we are. Oh yes. my gosh, that's amazing. You really are special. Because when I told my husband that I'm doing this interview, he was like, that sounds great. Don't mention me. yeah he's been a really good sport we've been speaking at marriage conferences together since like 2005 or 6 um and then a couple years ago he started writing more in the blog and being on the podcast and now he's written a book with me so yes that is so exciting I love that so the way that I got introduced to you guys is basically on this podcast over the last few months, we've had a few different people come on and share stories. And this idea of purity culture keeps coming up. So first it was with Monica Zuniga. She was raised in like a very conservative Christian home and she was raped in her early twenties. And just like her idea of purity culture really like messed with her processing of that trauma. And then um, we had Jen Jett came on and shared about how early on in her marriage, she dealt with a lot of like physical pain related to sex, which caused a lot of problems in her marriage and it eventually ended in divorce. And she also mentioned purity culture, but it wasn't like we dug deep into it. You know what I mean? They just kind of mentioned it. And then I had a listener reach out to me and say, hey, listen, I noticed that this keeps coming up on the podcast. Like people are mentioning this purity culture thing. You should really listen to the Bare Marriage podcast. So I started listening and I became like an avid fan. And I was just (laughs) like, I need to reach out. So I reached out and here we are because I would just love to talk to you guys. So today I want to mostly focus on your books coming out in March, which Mm -hmm. are The Good Guy's Guide to Great Sex and the updated version of The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I want to do like a brief little touch on The Great Sex Rescue, if that's okay with you. Sure. (laughs) And okay, so For people who are listening to this, who were not necessarily raised in like a conservative Christian home or like have no idea what we're talking about when we're saying like purity culture, they're like, what is that? Would you give like a brief kind of explanation of what that is, what we're talking about? Yeah. So purity culture is the idea that a woman's worth or a girl's worth is mostly measured in her virginity Mm -hmm. and in staying quote unquote, pure until she's married. And there's a pressure put on girls that is not put on boys with Mm -hmm. regards to this. And um, there's all kinds of trappings that go along with that. The idea that she can't be a stumbling block for boys because they might lust. Um, And so she's supposed to protect her brothers, that her main role is is really in being a wife and a mother and all kinds of things like that. So it, it, it makes her very small and it defines her in relation to what she does sexually as opposed to who she is as a person. And it can, it, it, we found that it was very damaging. And then what we did in the great sex rescue was we looked at not purity culture per se, but how a lot of those teachings morph into something else once Mm -hmm. you get married and become just as ugly. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So How in this conversation do we like not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Meaning like say, okay, this is, this is bad. Like this like has a lot of negative like impacts on women later. And like, there's all this pressure and then it plays out in their marriages and stuff like that. So like, let's just like throw it all away and everyone just like sleep around. You know what I mean? Like, where is that like 
happy middle? Yeah, I think it comes in how we define sex. Mm-hmm. So for instance, okay, here's the big problem. If I said to you, did you have sex last night? Which I'm not asking you and your husband wouldn't want you to reply. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if I were to ask you that, you think what I'm asking is something to do with like, did he put his penis into your vagina and move around to the climb? Like what you're picturing is intercourse. Right. And we think that's what sex is. Yes. And so this is where we get really messed up <laughs> because if that's our definition, she could be lying there making a grocery list in her head. So she could be totally bored. She could be in emotional turmoil. She could even be being coerced mm-hmm. and it would still count as having sex. Yeah. And biblically, if you look at it, sex, and I'll give you three main ideas. In the great sex rescue, we, we divided it, I think, into seven or eight, but there's, there's three big ones and people can remember three, okay? But Genesis 4, verse 1, Adam knew his wife Eve. Mm-hmm. And they conceived a son. Super weird verse. We think God's embarrassed of using the real word. (laughs) But really the Hebrew root for the word know there is the same one when David says, search me and know me, oh God. Mm -hmm. It's this deep intimacy. And so God's telling us sex is more than physical. It's this intimate longing to be connected. So sex is intimate. We know from Song of Solomon that it's pleasurable for both. So Mm -hmm. her needs matter too. She's having just as much fun. If you count the words in that book, she says more than he does. So pleasure for both. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, it's totally mutual. Yeah. So we get this picture of something which is intimate, pleasurable, and mutual. And that's what we're supposed to be aiming for. But what we've done instead is we have, we have made sex into something which is only physical. Mm-hmm. We've made it into a male entitlement. And so there's so much shame associated with it, so much obligation associated with it, and just so much ugliness. And so it's like, let's take all that apart <laughs> and let's mutual intimate pleasurable for both. And if it's going to be intimate, yes, you want to be in a committed relationship because you can't really share and be vulnerable unless you're there. Yes. I love that. I love that because it's like, if you grow up in a Christian home, it's it's always like hammered into you. Like you save sex for marriage, you save sex for marriage. And a lot of times it's like teenagers do this thing where they're like, okay, so like how close to the line mm-hmm. can I get before I like sin? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's like, I remember my husband and I talking about it one time and he was like, if you're asking how close to the line you can get, you've got it all wrong, right? Like it has to be more of a, concept, right? Of like we, how close and connected, right? Like are we and things like that and like how intimate and intimate doesn't necessarily mean like you said, like penetrative sex, you know what I mean? Like how intimate do you want to be with someone that you might not be with your whole life? Hence Mm -hmm. why it's like a wonderful thing to save that deep intimacy for marriage, but to do so out of like a place of this is special, this is important, not like shame, you're a sinner, this is bad, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can add one thing, you know, you yeah. ask, how do you know what's baby and what's bathwater? Yeah, right? yes. Um, I, I think we should just follow what Jesus said. He said, yeah. you will know a tree by its fruit. Mm. So there's lots of good evidence that waiting to your marriage produces, waiting to your married to have sex produces good fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's really good evidence that a lot of the trappings of purity culture produce hideously bad fruit. Yes. Um, and we in the church need to start realizing when we've gotten off track by the fruits that we're generating and we need to go back to basics. And that's how you keep the baby when you get rid of the bathwater. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. That's amazing. Um, okay. Switching gears slightly. 
I saw last Friday, it was like, it was like a spiritual moment. I'm sitting at my <laughs> computer and I'm prepping for this interview. I'm like reading, I'm typing away. And then all of a sudden my phone goes off and it's like, uh, Sheila's going live right now on Instagram. Oh. And I was like, how funny <laughs> I'm prepping for this interview. So mm -hmm. I hopped on there and I watched and you were talking about the book Married Sex by mm -hmm. Gary Thomas and Deborah Falita. Mm -hmm. I own the book. I haven't read it yet. I had ordered it a few months ago, sitting on my shelf, but then ended up getting distracted by all of your books. And then I never read that one. And I thought the things that you were saying on your Instagram live were so interesting. Like my mind was blown that I was like, I don't even know that I would have picked up on this stuff by myself. Would you go into a little bit about what you were talking about on your Instagram live about um, how sometimes there's these messaging, even like in Christian books for married people that it's like very coercive and things like that. Would you mind going into that a little bit? Yeah, I think what I'm trying to remember exactly what that Instagram live was about. I'm pretty sure it was about the nude photos thing. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay. So, um, so Deb and Gary had this section in the book where they were talking about, you know, how to spice things up and everything. And they had, they were talking about sending nude photos to your husband. So a woman sends them to her husband and they gave two anecdotes. The first was a woman who felt reluctant, mm -hmm. but then they say she didn't want to unnecessarily deny her husband. Okay. So first of all, to say you don't want to deny your husband means he has a right to it. Right. Okay. Um, but she was reluctant, but she didn't want to unnecessarily deny him. And so she did it. And then he loved it. And this was great. And then the second woman um, was a woman who found that when she sent him her photos, then neurologically he would be drawn to her rather than to other women. So it's like, you, you need to send him nude photos so that he won't look at porn or other women. Totally. So this is coercive in two ways. Yeah. First of all, it's telling women who are reluctant, well, you shouldn't be reluctant because look at this hot woman. She did it. She didn't unnecessarily deny him. And now he loves it. And Hey, look at this woman. She did it. And now he's not looking at porn. And then they had a footnote where they said, some counselors strongly object to this. And this can be dangerous to do. So, you know, be careful. And and it's like, why didn't you lead with that? You know, right, we, right. We actually talked about sending nude photos in both the Good Girl's Guide and the Good Guy's Guide, okay? Mm -hmm. And what we said was, look, if you want to, it's not a sin. Mm -hmm. But here's two things to remember. You can't defeat porn by becoming porn. And, you know, if objectification is an issue, this is only going to reinforce it. And you never know where those pictures are going to go. yes. So you got to be wise here. And, and so like our approach was, look, if you want to do it, here's what to think about it. Their approach was, ladies, if you don't want to do it, here's why you should. Yeah. And that is coercive. Yes. Yes. I agree with you so much. And it's just like so crazy how I feel like, you know, there's so much messaging, like especially in these like Christian circles about like before you're married, like you need to be like, this pure little dove, and then come your wedding night, you need to be this like wild sexual creature. And you're mm -hmm. like, I don't know how to do this. I remember having a conversation with my sister right after I got married. And I said like, I feel like I'm supposed to do one of those like photo shoot things, like where, mm -hmm. like whatever it's called, like a boudoir photo shoot. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember saying like, I really don't want to. That sounds like horrifying to me. Like that mm -hmm. actually sounds horrifying to me, like that I would have to do that. And then like, where do you get them printed? Where like you <laughs> think that someone's not going to be looking at that. Like that freaks me out. But I remember us being like, I know, like that sounds so uncomfortable, but like, I feel like we're like supposed to. And mm -hmm. our, neither of our husbands made us feel like we were supposed to. They never mentioned it, nothing like that. But like the culture 
made me feel like I was supposed to do something that I was like wildly uncomfortable doing, you know? And it is just so crazy how I think that we receive these messages and like really don't think anything of it, you know? And then it's like, when I heard you be like, no, that's coercive. I was like, yes, like that, yeah, (laughs) whoa. Like that's so crazy. Like, and again, if you have done that for your husband, if you're listening to this, you've done that for your husband and that's a thing that's happy between the two of you, fine, What, whatever, that's fine. Yeah. But like to feel like you have to do it or mm-hmm. else, you know, because that's another thing. I feel like that comes up a lot and you mentioned these this in your books that, you know, women will sometimes feel like, oh, like I have to have sex with my husband or else he's going to be tempted. He's going to look at porn. He's going to look at other women. He might cheat. So I have to do this. Talk to me a little bit about that and why that's like so problematic. Yeah. So what's different about our books, I think, than other um, sex books is that we actually did research. Yes. (laughs) This isn't just based on our opinions. So um, I first wrote The Great Sex Rescue. That was the first book that was out that we're talking about. Um, We surveyed 20,000 women. We asked them about their marital satisfaction, their sexual satisfaction, and then we presented them with a bunch of evangelical beliefs about sex to see if believing some of these things changes your marital or sexual outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so we identified four big teachings that do really, really, really bad things. And the worst one by far was this idea that a woman is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. Mm -hmm. And when you believe that, and about 39% of women believe that when they got married, it results in much higher rates of sexual pain. Yeah. Almost to the same statistical effect as if they had been abused. Mm. Because our bodies interpret the obligation sex message as trauma. You know, and so that's what we looked at in the Great Sex Rescue is we we were trying to break down all of these negative teachings that we have heard about sex. And we were trying to help people, yeah, identify coercion, like you said. Did you know, we, we looked at 13 evangelical bestsellers Um, And there was one word missing from every single one of them. And it was the word consent. Just not there. So, so great sex rescue. We're trying to break everything down. And then in the new books, the good guys guide to great sex and the good girls guide to great sex. We're saying, what would happen if we built a healthy sex life from the ground up? Mm -hmm. And we surveyed after we did their survey of women, we surveyed um, several thousand men. And so that data is also incorporated in both of these books. Yes. Um, And, and we saw that those harmful messages hurt guys too. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I I would just say that the, you know, a lot of times in the church, what we're taught uh, is we're not really taught about a Christian sexual ethic. We're just taught, wait till you're married. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's Don't the only information we do get. It. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 you know, if we're going to live out a Christian ethos in our lives, like it should have touched every area of our lives, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it shouldn't just be wait till you got a ring on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yes. And, and I think the other thing that I see in the church too, is there's a real sense of, by the way we teach about sex, we really sort of teach a male entitlement mm-hmm. version of sex. Mm-hmm. We teach in the church, women don't want it. Men do. So women give it to men. Totally. Um, be your, be a good Christian. And, you know, we know you don't want it, but it's, it's something he wants. So be serving and give it to him because that's yep. what Christians do. Mm-hmm. And it results in harm for women because they're coerced into sex, but yeah. it also results in harm for men because men miss out on the amazing thing that sex is supposed to be, which is a totally mutual, incredibly intimate experience. Instead, they just get a, an empty physical duty sex and and men don't want that. Uh, you know, real good Christian men don't want that. And that's why we wrote the good guy's guide to give 
How do we get to what God intended with all the messaging we're getting out there? Yes. So the Great Sex Rescue kind of tears all that messaging down. Yep. The Guys Guide and the Good Girls Guide says, well, if we started with a Christian ethic from the beginning and we mm-hmm. thought, what would sex look like if we went well? Mm-hmm. This is what it would look like. That's what mm-hmm. we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, all right. Let's go there. So the Good Guys Guide to Great Sex and the Good Girls Guide. So the Good Girls Guide actually came out years ago and you revamped it, rewritten it. And both of these are hitting the stores March 15th. Am I right? Yes, that's right. Okay. So this episode's going to come out end of February. So Mm -hmm. this is perfect timing. So everybody prepare yourselves, do your pre-ordering and all of that. So tell Mm -hmm. me about these two books. Like how do they go together? Like what? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. So, um... They're wonderful for people who are about to get married. You know, the original Mm -hmm. Good Girls Guide was the bridal shower gift for like 10 years. But after surveying 20,000 women, I just didn't agree with everything I said. And so I begged the publisher, please let me rewrite it because I felt like it was too gendered. I was too much men are like this, women are like this. And the truth Mm -hmm. is it's a lot more nuanced. And so they let me rewrite it, thankfully. Um, But we're really hoping that this can get into the hands of couples before they're married so they can start well and not run into a lot of these problems. But even if you are married, it's real. these These are probably the best books to build an understanding of proper Christian sexuality. Absolutely. It's also really practical. Like we go into a lot of detail on how to bridge the orgasm gap. (laughs) Totally. Like, let me speak personally. So I've been married for like eight years and I was very lucky to get early copies of the books. I was flying through them last week. And like literally every day when my husband got home, I was like, did you know that blah, 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 blah. And like, I'm like quoting things and like statistics or whatever. And he was like, wow, like you're just like full of like knowledge on this right now. And I'm like, I am just flying through these books. I'm learning so much. I'm like, my mind is being blown. So yes, I do think that they're amazing for people before they're married, but I think that they're also amazing for people when they're already married and they've been married for a while and been having sex for a while. Um, What was the most interesting finding from your research? So talk about the last message. What do you think? Oh, gosh, or, the orga- or the orgasm gap? What do you think? Um, you know what I would say is the 71% one. Okay. Okay. This one's, I, I think this one's kind of funny and it kind of leads into all the other ones. Um, so we asked women, mm-hmm. does your husband do enough foreplay? Right. And then we also asked men, do you think you do enough foreplay? And we asked women, does your husband prioritize your sexual pleasure? And then we asked guys, do you prioritize your wife's sexual pleasure? And like, when women frequently orgasm, over 90% of both men and women agree, you know, yeah, he doesn't have foreplay. Yes, he prioritizes your sexual pleasure. But when women don't frequently orgasm, 71% of guys still say they do enough foreplay, but so do like 56% of women. Mm. And it just makes you wonder, like, enough for what? Like, right. how are we measuring this? How are we defining this? <laughs> right. Like, uh, I think, did you misunderstand the question? Like, what? <laughs> like, what is this? Yeah. But it goes back to what I was saying earlier is we have an idea that sex is for men. And yes. so, yeah, I did enough and it, she didn't orgasm, but that's just because, you know, women are like that. They don't, yes. they don't do that. And it's just such a yeah. horrible yeah. way of thinking of things. Like, mm-hmm. you know, 
we, we want to go back to the beginning and say, let's make this something great for both of us. And I think, I think men are looking for that. And, and I'm, we're hoping these books give that to husbands that mm-hmm. they can say, I want to rock my wife's world. Uh, totally. And this book's going to give you the tools to do that because I think it's possible to have a really great sex. Yeah. And I think that was why we wrote the books differently. Like why we didn't just write one book mm-hmm. is that guy that people need very different messages. Guys yes. need to be told, you know what? Sex is not automatic for your wife, the way it is for you. And so you need, like, if you want great sex. And, and, and I also say, and that's normal. Yeah. 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 Um, because we have a very male oriented view of sexuality, like mm-hmm. in culture in general, right? Yeah. Everything's quick, fast, automatic, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. but that's not the way the majority of women work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so guys, they, they don't mean anything bad by it, but they just think, oh, well, my wife, you know, she's just broken. She's mm-hmm. not broken. She's just different than you. And you need to know how she's different and honor that and change the way that you interact with her sexually mm-hmm. so that you can both get out of sex, what you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whereas women really need this raw, raw message. Like, Hey ladies, like you're important too. You matter. Yes. And it's okay to want to feel good mm-hmm. because those 56% of women should be saying, <laughs> you know, no, nope. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. I think that there's so many women like listening to this that are probably thinking like, oh wow, like no one ever really like empowered me to like think that sex should be good for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, it was just kind of like, wait till you're married it's going to be amazing for him. Like he's not going to be able to control himself. It's a whole thing. Like if you're lucky, you'll like it, but <laughs> move on with your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, that's yeah. kind of the messaging, whether it's like explicitly stated or that's just kind of like implicitly how we pick it up, you know? Yeah. But I think that that's very common that women don't have this sense of like, this should be good for me. And like, let's work together to make it good for both of us, which then it makes it a more intimate experience. Yeah. And then what happens if you get married and he's not all over you? Yes. This, this is a big problem too, is that yeah. it isn't the case that all men have the higher sex drive. Like, yes, in 50, in 58% of marriages, he has the higher sex drive, but in 19% she does. And in 23% it's shared. So what if you're one of the 19% of evangelical women who get married thinking he's going to be all over you and he's not? Yeah. Right. And then you start feeling like I'm, I'm undesirable. I've talked to so many women who said we had to go to counseling because we thought there was something wrong with him. Mm. And it's like, no, he's just got, he's just got a lower libido than a lot of guys, but it doesn't mean there's necessarily anything wrong. Now there could be. Okay. Sure. <laughs> like porn, you know, porn can really decrease yes. libido. You need to look into that, et cetera. But sometimes it's just simply that you fall on different sides of the bell curve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I meant to say this before, and I just want to say, I think that that shows so much about your character that you wanted to rewrite The Good Girl's Guide because I think that that says so much that you put a book out there that you stand by, and it's it's a great book. But as you learned more, like you said, after researching more and more and like talking to more and more and digging deeper and deeper and knowing more and more, you felt like, I want to rewrite this with like my updated findings and like my new thoughts about this. And I think that that's like, awesome. And we could use so much more of that in the world and specifically in the Christian world. And I think that that's really amazing. So I just want to commend you for doing that. Thank you. I think she's awesome too. (laughs) So great. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's talk about women a little bit. Why do you think that we just kind of talked about this, but I want to dig a little deeper. Why do Christian women tend to feel like their pleasure during sex isn't important? Like, why is that a message that everyone keeps receiving somehow? We've been told it forever. Like Emerson Egerton, Love and Respect said, if your yes. husband is typical, he has a need you don't have. 
Right. Great. So, so yeah. and this is what we've been told always, like women don't need sex. I have a hard time understanding why people keep spreading that, except that maybe it honestly is that the only thing, this is what we came up with in the great sex rescue when we were trying to figure this out is it, defi- it depends how you define success. Mm. Okay. So we think success in the sex department should be two people feeling connected, feeling close, having a great time, you know, being relaxed. Like that should be successful where you have high sexual satisfaction, high marital satisfaction. But it seems like a lot of people define success merely as how often do we have sex? Yes. And if that's your only measure, then a lot of the very coercive messages that are given to women actually do slightly increase the frequency. Mm-hmm. And so they could be thinking, well, we're doing a good job because when we teach these things, women put out more. Yeah. <laughs> but it yes. doesn't It doesn't result in high marital or sexual satisfaction. It actually kills sexual satisfaction for women and it kills marital satisfaction for both. So mm-hmm. how about <laughs> we stop thinking that frequency is everything and start seeing frequency as the sign or as a, as a signal of what else is going on in the marriage? Like what we've found, and this is important for people to understand too. Okay, I'm going to list five things. Everyone listen. Okay, five things I'm about to tell you. We got it. When women have high marital satisfaction, when they feel close to their husbands during sex, when there's no porn use, when there's no sexual dysfunction, and when they frequently orgasm, frequency tends to take care of itself. Yes. So we need to stop telling people have more sex. And we need to start saying, if someone doesn't want sex, let's figure out why. Yes. Oh, You are so right. Like everything you read is just like, just have sex and then you'll be close. Just have sex and then you'll be close. And it's like, well, you won't if it's not intimate sex. Like Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're not connecting, right? Like it's not just like a switch. It's not just a a magical thing. That's like, oh, if you just do that with someone, you're going to be automatically close. You know, you need, it needs to be mutual. I, I love that. Um, I read in your book that being religiously conservative is a risk factor for vaginismus. Mm -hmm. First of all, can you define what that is for people who have no idea what I'm talking about? And then tell me about why that's a risk factor. Okay, so vaginismus is a sexual dysfunction where the muscles in the vaginal wall contract or become really tight and it makes penetration very painful and difficult, if not impossible. If you look at people under the age of 40, couples suffer from vaginismus at far higher rates than erectile dysfunction. And no one talks about it. We all know what erectile dysfunction is. No one talks about vaginismus. Yes. And evangelical women have twice their rate of vaginismus Ugh. as the general population. Um, we found an incidence rate of about 22.6%, 7% to the point that penetration was impossible. Wow. And I was one of those. So th- that was the story of our right. marriage too. So this was, well, that's one of the reasons we wanted 20,000. We wanted that many women was because we wanted to drill down and figure out why. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. One of the big things is the honeymoon. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I think I think that the security mm-hmm. culture idea has given us the, the whole thing is waiting till you're married and that's it. So now the night is here and yep. like, mm-hmm. you gotta. Yep. You got, yeah. Turn it on everybody. Like, let's go. And one of the things that was interesting in the, in the stats stats that Sheila did with her group was they found that of couples who had only ever had sex with each other. Mm -hmm. So man and woman, they've only ever been with that person. Yeah. They compared people who had had sex before they got married versus those who waited till the wedding night. 
Okay. And they found that sexual pain was much less frequent in the ones who had had sex before they got married than afterwards. Mm. Now, this is not an advertisement to go ahead and have sex before you get married. Mm -hmm. Um, But we think that two things are going on there. We think that people who are trying to save themselves from marriage and didn't probably were in a very different mindset than the people who it's now, oh my gosh, a clock. (laughs) We're finally getting back to the hotel after this wedding. Totally. We have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the big key there is arousal. Yes. Was she ready? Was she looking for it? Was she seeking it? Mm-hmm. Or was it a, well, now we have to. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's what I think a lot of guys don't realize. We need to understand that the sexual response cycle in women is a staged process. It mm-hmm. goes from just sort of that, you know, low grade touching, holding hands, feeling intimate mm-hmm. to like a bit more tingly to like actual sexual, you know, response in our body and yeah. then into actually having sex. And so we have a whole section talking about preparing for the honeymoon about getting people to try and think differently. It's not like when you finally get married, that it's going to be just jump in with both feet. You need to take your time and make sure that you focus on arousal rather than yeah. the deed. If yeah. You know what I mean. yeah. So totally. we, we propose a threefold, a threefold aim when you get married. Number one, just feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just feel comfortable naked together. Yeah. Number two, figure out her arousal and even maybe her orgasm first and then go to intercourse. And some couples will be able to do that in one night. Mm-hmm. And some couples will take like a week or several weeks or however, but it doesn't matter how long it takes. As long right. as you do it in that order, you set yourself up for so much better sex. Mm-hmm. Because if you go into it with a set sense that this is going to take as long as it takes, I mean, yeah. you've already waited for a long time. If you'd have to wait another day or two or a week or so, sure. you know, if you've got that mindset already, it's not mm-hmm. a big challenge. But if the mindset is when this happens, then it's done, then it's it's a huge disappointment. And mm-hmm. you as a guy may unconsciously or even consciously, unfortunately, pressure her when she's not ready yet. And, totally. and we shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like mind blowing for me when I was reading that in the books, how it's so funny how I remember before being married, talking to my friends that were married, Christian, you know, girlfriends that were married, and they would say things like, you know, just just know that like, you know, when you're dating, it's like you feel like it like takes every fiber of your being to like not have sex. And then sometimes you get married and like a little bit of that goes away because, you know, and I remember they them saying to me, there's something about the forbidden that's exciting, you know? So when you're trying not to do it, that's kind of exciting. But then when you can do it, it it loses some of its excitement. And I remember thinking like, well, gosh, that's depressing. Like that's (laughs) like a really sad thing. And then I was never really able to put words to it, but reading in your books this week, I was like, no, it's not that. It's that when you're dating, like you said, you described in the book how it's like, you know, you're dating and you're like, okay, we're not gonna have sex, but you're having these like long makeout sessions or whatever. And it's like, you know, things are progressing and people are getting aroused and blah, 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 blah. But then it's like, you get married and you're like, hi, how's your day? We should have sex right now. You know what I mean? And it's like, and, and you think that that's how it's supposed to be. Like, you're just supposed to be like constantly like just running and it's like, it happens. And it's like, that's not, that doesn't even make sense for your body. Like, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't even make sense. You have to like work yourself up and we forget to do that once we're married. And that's why some women are having trouble feeling like they like it or they want it or whatever. I was just like, this is amazing stuff. Like everyone needs to read the books. And no one's teaching this to guys in the Christian church. No, no. You know, the sexual response cycle, it's just biology. It's straightforward, but we're not getting taught it. So I'm hoping it's going to 
change the conversation that way. Mm -hmm. Yes, me too. So you mentioned earlier the orgasm gap. Can you, what is that? What do we mean by that? What do we do about it? Mm -hmm. So basically, you know, in a given sexual encounter, barring sexual dysfunction, you know, guys have an orgasm like no, 95. That's actually not true. Oh, what? You, you're, 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 okay. oh, I'm saying, no. what, saying yes, it wrong? you're saying it wrong. Okay. 95% of men almost always are always orgasm during a sexual encounter, but the equivalent number for women is only 48. Okay. So we okay. have a 47 point orgasm gap. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. Okay. So what do we do about that? <laughs> <laughs> we have to start teaching both people that her orgasm matters. Yeah. Um, it, Cause a lot of it is a head game. Mm-hmm. You know, how many women are like, okay, I know he's supposed to do foreplay, but he's been trying for like 10 minutes and I don't feel much. So it's okay. I'm just go ahead. It's all right. Just go ahead. Yeah. Cause we feel guilty for taking too long, but often yeah. we don't, because we don't understand the sexual response cycle, we start doing the foreplay stuff too early. Yeah. Um, because there's a difference between excitement and arousal mm-hmm. and excitement is when you're just starting, your body is just starting to click. Okay. So like you're kissing, you're touching, you're feeling affectionate. And that's when she might start to get a little bit wet, a little bit lubricated. She might, you know, she might start to feel some tingling or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if you go straight for the clitoris before she feels anything, it feels like a pap smear. Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I love that. It's like, what are you doing? It's just invasive. So you need to wait. And this is what we try to teach. We try to teach women in the good girl's guide, how to listen to your body's cues, Mm -hmm. because you're not going to get to orgasm without going through all the stages. And you need to understand where your body is at, because Mm -hmm. we're going to do different things at each stage. That's going to help you get there. Yeah. So it's like, it's that, it's that, um, is that practice of learning to listen and pay attention to your body. Because after excitement comes arousal, and that's when you do want to touch the erogenous zones. But if you touch, if you touch too early, it just doesn't feel good for her. Mm-hmm. You know, so for women, we're teaching them to listen to their bodies. And for guys, we're teaching them how to recognize what those different stages look like. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's so good. Okay, let's go there. We've mentioned porn a few times and like how that, is problematic and things like that. Let's talk about that. What are the myths that we believe about porn? You know, how can, why is it bad? How can we recover? Like, let's discuss it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the thing that was the most uh, surprising or encouraging stat, I guess, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say it in, in the stuff we did with the guys in porn is we found for a lot of the things that are, um, there's a lot of people that are saying, well, porn is not the problem. It's that you feel guilty about porn and porn doesn't cause any harm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we found was a, a real dose response effect. So we found that just, just under 50% of married evangelical Christian men have some relationship to porn. Mm-hmm. And we categorize that currently. By, currently yeah. yeah. Mm. And we categorize that by whether it was daily, weekly, you know, intermittent, whether it was binges, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, it's, some response for like just under 50% of the time. Mm-hmm. But then we compared those different groups of men who did use porn and the group of men that didn't use porn mm-hmm. for a number of different markers of health in your relationship, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's erectile dysfunction or other markers. And what we found was a dose response relationship. So the more porn was in your marriage, the more problems you had with those mm-hmm. things. So yeah. I think that that gives us a good strong message to say that no porn is something that you should try and avoid in your marriages because mm-hmm. it does cause harm. So that's yeah. one of the myths that we think kind of helps to con- 
to blow away. The other thing I found that was good was that the myth that it's this thing that all guys use this. Mm-hmm. There's no hope for it. You might as well just give up. Yeah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. don't even bother trying to resist it. Well, yeah, try to resist it, but we know you're going to fail. Yeah. You know, that yes. kind of mentality, because, you know, like the majority of Christian men who do combat porn can defeat it and yeah. can go on to have really good, fulfilling sex lives. You know, I was really surprised that, um, I want to say like a year or so ago, I was listening to a podcast and they were actually like arguing why porn could be like good for married couples and things like that. Why, where is that coming from? Like who, what are they basing that on? Yeah. I mean, I think again, it, it's, it spices things up. People think it gets the libido going, but you know, I I think one of the other myths that I want to fight is that we phrase uh, porn as a sin, primarily a sin. We shouldn't do it because it's a sin. And I agree. Shouldn't mm-hmm. do it. It's a sin. But there's a much bigger reason we shouldn't do it. Yes. And that is the justice issue. This porn fuels sex trafficking. Those are real people being raped. And you do not want to get your jollies off of people being raped. And even so-called consensual porn, you know, the studies that they've been that they've done, those aren't necessarily consenting adults. And and those who do put themselves up on these sites like voluntarily, often they're victims of sexual assault themselves. And so it's Mm -hmm. a trauma response. But if you just look at the, at the stuff surrounding Pornhub, you know, so much of that was um, coerced and it, or revenge porn or something like that. And so there, we shouldn't be watching porn simply because of that reason. You're correct. (laughs) Yes. And I think if we were to talk about that more, it would be much easier for younger people to withstand porn. When we just simply talk about it as a sin, we kind of drive it underground like it's, and they just feel shame. But if we say, no, those are real people getting raped. You don't want to, you don't want to encourage that. Yeah. Um, I think that gives people a much easier way to, to stop. I think that's so true. And, you know, Um, I think that you're right, that even if there are like stats out there that are like, no, these are like consenting adults or whatever. I think that like, that's so muddled, you know, because it's like a lot of people, you know, I did an episode with Amber Newberry who does a lot of um, sexual trauma recovery with people. And she said, you know, a lot of people don't even understand that they didn't consent. You know what I mean? Like, like Mm -hmm. at at, like first like question, it would be like, yeah, I consented. And then like pushed, they're like, oh, well, no, I did feel coerced, but I thought that that was normal, you know? So it's like, there's all of that, like playing into it, you know? Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that that's so important. Um, so for couples that are looking to answer the question, like, is this all there is to sex? Maybe they're listening to this and they're like, I just like, don't feel like my sex life is that great. Like, uh, like what, like, what am I doing wrong? Like what's one thing they can do to have better sex? Huh. Okay. Other than things we talked about, because I, I yes. would normally talk about, about the sexual response cycle, but here's something totally different that's not even sexual. <laughs> and this is a big part of our books is that we're, we, we talk about sex as being physical, emotional, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. It's all three. And often we focus too much on the physical and yeah. we think, well, if we want to, if we want to get stuff hotter, then we just need to do hotter things. So the nude photos, for instance. Yes. Right. Or, um, you know, try all kinds of new and weird and things and that'll make it hotter. But the best way to fuel desire is actually to connect at a heart level. Yeah. You know, like think of makeup sex is a real thing. Think about how after a fight you want to have sex. And it's not because you're now made up. It's because during the fight, you really got vulnerable. You shared your deepest feelings. And when we're vulnerable and when we share with each other that 
is what fuels desire. And so anything couples can do to connect on an emotional level and really Mm -hmm. open up is a huge thing. So here's one simple tip. Okay. You asked for one simple tip. Here's one simple thing you can do at the end of each day, share the moment with your spouse where you felt the most in the groove, like the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit's working through me. I am so like, everything is flowing. This is amazing. And then share the one moment where you felt the most defeated and exhausted. Because those are two emotional moments. So not just the best thing that happened to you, because you know, the best thing might be I won the lottery or something, right? right? Not just the best thing, but like the moment where you felt the most in the groove. So let's connect on an emotional level. Yeah. (laughs) You know, on those two windows, open up those two windows for your spouse every day, and you'll find you know a lot more about each other and you Mm -hmm. feel a lot closer. And that's going to fuel desire. And I think people forget about that part of it. We see, we compartmentalize sex. So it's only the physical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really true for guys as well as, as women. Uh, I think that in the church, we often talk about sex, like it's like a physical thing for guys and it's an emotional thing for women. <laughs> and, yes. And, yes. And, and, you know, we sort of guys don't, when we start talking about feeling connected emotionally and spiritually, we're like, well, that's not really sex. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's emotional connection. Totally. Because we're so taught that these things are all in different boxes and they don't meet. Um, but but God did make sex to be something that is not just physical, but also emotional mm-hmm. and, and even spiritual in a sense, because that's we become one. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So and I think that as men, we, we we do better to understand that, you know, all three are meant to be together uh, mm-hmm. and see God's whole picture of it. And I think women also the challenge for them is to embrace the physical side of it. Mm-hmm. And when we both learn from each other. We see the whole picture of what God intended and it just makes it better. And there's been really good studies showing that the stronger your relationship is, the better the sex is. So mm-hmm. guys who are sort of like, well, that has nothing to do with my sex life. Well, you know, scientifically you're wrong. So <laughs> you, need, you need to yeah. learn to connect with your wife, right? Yes. Um, yes. Part of being a good lover to your wife. Yeah, Absolutely. There's so much good stuff. So much good stuff. Is there anything that we did not hit that you guys feel like is important for people to know? Um, I think one of the most interesting findings in the good guys guide mm-hmm. is about lust. Yeah. Do you want to talk about oh, that? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Cause, cause this is a huge message all through the church, right? I mean, there's whole book series on every man's battle, like this mentality, all men lust or all men struggle yep. with lust or all men struggle with a visual nature or whatever terms you want to couch it in, you know, men are all sex monsters constantly can't control themselves. That's yep. the mentality that's out there. Always. Um, and we've all, we've had a problem with this and we didn't think it was really true, <laughs> but, but it's sort of out there that the, the, the concept is that all men do this. Yeah. So we actually asked the question in the men's survey. we got 3000 men to do this survey, evangelical mm-hmm. Christian men. We just asked the question, do you feel that you struggle with lust on a daily basis? Mm-hmm. And we got an answer of 75%. Mm-hmm. So to me, that in and of itself is a really interesting finding. You know, because we yeah. say not every man, right? 25% of men are like, you're right. No, I'm good. You know? I don't. Yeah. It's great. But what the people who are out there would tell you is, well, 75% of men struggle with lust and the other 25% struggle with lying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. They'd say it's not true, right? Yep. Because that's their felt, you know, experience of the world. Yeah. They, they do really struggle with lust. But we thought that I feel like we're sort of like conflating things with lust that aren't really lust. Yeah. My suspicion is, is that a lot of guys feel guilty about being attracted to women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what we did was we actually went further in the questions and we actually asked about a number of different scenarios. Mm-hmm. 
some of these scenarios are took directly out of the Christian books mm-hmm. that are selling, talking about lust. Mm-hmm. And they, they present like, oh, when you're doing this, then you'll start lusting. Or, you know, do you look down the top of the waitress who's got yeah. a low cut neck? Do you sit outside the gym and watch women going in and out in their workout clothes and masturbate in your car? Like these are in Christian books. <sighs> Yikes. Yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah. Presented yeah. as this is what happens because of this, yeah. you know, because what men are like. So we actually went and we asked these questions. Like if you were in this scenario, would you A, B, C, D? Mm-hmm. And we got down to like, would you masturbate in your car kind of stuff. For yeah. <laughs> and I am so, I, I, you know, I'm so grateful that these men didn't click out to the survey at that point in disgust. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they probably were wondering what we were doing because, right. you know, like, but that this is in Christian literature. Yes, absolutely. Right? And surprise, surprise. Uh, well, it was no surprise to us, but I think it's a really, it'll be a surprise to a lot of people is we found yeah. a large percentage of men who say they struggle with lust do not show any evidence of lusting in any of the scenarios we presented for them. You know, and and we said, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? And they don't. And then we thought, well, you know, maybe they feel like they struggle with lust because they have a porn problem. Right. Right. Um, And so, or maybe they struggle with lust because they have that, what people call the mental Rolodex. Have you heard of that before? No. Like there's this idea, it's from Shanti Shanti Feldon's book, book, that all men have this mental Rolodex of images in their mind that they can't get in their mind. Mm-hmm. Now, let's get out the, the fact that if you have a if an image of a per, woman you saw once in the past pops into your mind, like that's is that a sin? That to me right. sounds like it's a memory. But yeah, forget yeah. that. But but if you assume that it's a lustful image that comes into your brain and you engage it with lust, right? You do that. We asked all these things. Most of the men who said they struggle with lust on a daily basis didn't do any of those things. Mm. So why do they feel they struggle with lust on a daily basis when nothing they do? seems lustful. Yeah. Well, it's because I think that we have, well, we think that we have conflated in the church, normal male attraction to women with lust. Yes. Um, and, and so we really talk very much about that. The way that I've said it before is we in the church have made the objectification of women synonymous with male sexuality. Yeah. We have taught men the only way to look at a woman is sexually. Yeah. So don't look at women unless yes. she's your wife. Mm-hmm. Totally. We need to be teaching men, Christian men, a healthier view. Yeah. You can look at a woman sexually. You can look at a woman non-sexually. Yeah. And that's just conversation. It's just not happening out there. The yeah. point is not whether your eye comes in contact with a woman. The point is what's going on in your brain and in your heart when yes. that happens. Mm-hmm. Jesus never told us, Bounce your eyes. Don't look at women. Jesus said many times, do you see this woman? Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. we need to be teaching men, how to see women, mm-hmm. not how to avoid looking at women so that we don't lust. If, yeah. if, if you cannot look at a woman without having sexual thoughts in your brain, you need to do some work yeah. to get to the point where you actually can have a healthy view of your sisters in, in Christ. Yeah. And but instead we've replaced it with this idea of bouncing your eyes and don't look at women and don't engage. It's, yeah. it's so harmful. And we, we really want to paint a better, healthier view. Yes. I think that's so important. It's just, it is so ridiculous how it's like, we are raised like, 
Men cannot control themselves. If they're looking at a woman, they're lusting. There, there is nothing they can do about it. This is how they are. So basically, women, it's on you to make mm-hmm. sure that like they don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. It's almost like not giving men enough credit. You know what I mean? It's like they literally cannot control what they're they're like wild animals. They can't get like, you know what I mean? It's like, hello. They're, you know, I don't know. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> and I was just gonna say, we don't do that for any other sin. Yeah. We don't have any sin where we say, this women are sinning in this way, so men need to do this. Yeah. You know, like not that I know of. Mm-hmm. It's know. so true. And, and I, I agree with you. It's a very low view of men. I mean, yeah. in, in the Everyman series, they say things like, um, we see the reason for the propensity for male sexual sin. We got there, got there naturally, simply by being male. In the in the Every Heart Restored book, it says men just don't have that Christian view of sex. Mm-hmm. When Christian writers can say men are not possible, men cannot possibly have a Christian view of sex. Why did we as men not stand up and say, hold on a second. I am in the image of God, just like women. Yeah, I have the capacity to have the Holy Spirit renew my mind, just like women. I have the capacity to live out the instructions of scripture, just like women. Mm-hmm. Why did we not balk and rebel against that? Yeah, um, we, we, we took it hook, line and sinker. And it's because we've been taught objectification of women is the way men work. And instead of saying, hey, you know what, guys, we need to get control of our thought lives. We need to stop objectifying women. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned married sex earlier. Gary Thomas, who wrote that, actually read an early copy of Great Sex Rescue, but he he decided not to endorse it because of what we said about lust, essentially, that it isn't every man's battle. And then in married sex, you know, he continued this idea. He quoted a a largely discredited neuroscientist who said that sexual thoughts flicker in the background of a man's visual cortex all day and night, making him always at the ready to seize a sexual opportunity. That's like seriously rapey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Men are going to be attracted to women. That's natural. That's normal. And having a, a healthy conversation about that and saying, you know, like, Reel it in, guys. If you find your brain going the way it's not supposed to go, right, it's fine. But to make it sound like every man is a predator, yes, exactly. That's terrible. That's a horrible insult to men. It yes. is, and we measured that in in the survey too. We measured what happens when a man believes that lust is every man's battle, mm-hmm. and it's not pretty. Yeah, you know, for women, it hurts women, but it also hurts men. Yes. And this is what I really want people to understand is these messages hurt men too. They make their marriages worse. They make them feel more entitled. They make them feel, um, they make them far less satisfied Mm -hmm. with anything in their marriage. Um, And that's just, it's really sad because we're missing out on the great stuff that God has for us because Mm -hmm. we believed things about men that just aren't true. Yeah. You wonder if it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing. You know what I mean? Mm. Where it's just like they're taught this from when they're really young. Like, you're a guy. You're not going to be able to control yourself ever. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it because you're a man. Your mm-hmm. your burden to bear is the fact that you're like a lusty, out-of-control person. You know what I mean? And so then it's like you wonder if they just kind of give into it because it's like, mm-hmm. well, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, and it's <laughs> like, no, this isn't – this is not healthy. I think that that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and they notice a pretty girl walk by and they – they turn their head a little bit. They go, oh, I'm a horrible, sinful person. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so defeating. Yes, it is. Oh, there's so much good stuff. Oh, we could go on forever. But let me end with this. Where can people find you, your books, your podcasts? Like, 
I know that people are going to listen to this episode and want more. So tell us where right. do we get more? Okay. So bear marriage podcast every Thursday, you can find that everywhere. Bear marriage, B-A-R-E. Um, my blog is at to love, honor and vacuum.com to love, honor and vacuum.com. And if you go there and click on books, you will find the new good girls guide and the, and the good guys guide. There's also a link there where you can, if you pre-order them, you can actually get our pre-order bonus. So our evangelical sex report card, which is fun. And you can even join our launch team, which means you can get instant access to um, the books right now, read them early in exchange for a review and get on a super fun Facebook group. So you can go take a look at that too. Amazing. Can you tell us what the report card is really quickly? Yeah. So basically we looked at, we combined all of our survey data and we rated evangelical sex on, in terms of orgasm rates, foreplay, frequency, sexual pain, um, porn, lust, all of those sorts of things. So there's some areas where we scored an F and there were some where we scored an A. And so you can go take a look. (laughs) I love it. Amazing. You guys, I cannot thank you enough. This was amazing. I know people are going to love it. I appreciate it so much. Thanks to you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. Awesome. Guys, I hope you loved my chat with Sheila and Keith. How great are they? If you liked what you heard and you're interested in diving more into it, can I suggest heading over to Audible to check out Sheila's books? You know, life is so busy. It's hard to find time to sit down and read a physical book. But when you listen to an audio book, you can do it while you drive, while you cook, while you exercise, while you fold laundry in the same way that you're listening to this podcast, right? So listen, Sheila's books, The Great Sex Rescue, 31 Days to Great Sex, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage, they're all on Audible. And on March 15th, The Good Girl's Guide and The Good Guy's Guides to Great Sex are gonna release on Audible and they're gonna be read by none other than Sheila and Keith themselves. How fun is that? So go to audibletrial.com slash SWE to get a free 30-day trial of Audible along with a free audiobook. And if you use that specific link, then you're also helping out the podcast. So everybody wins. So remember, go to audibletrial.com slash SWE, S-W-E, to get your free 30-day trial and a free audiobook.